You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into Loho Daily. I am Loho, a.k.a. Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It's that time of the week. The Bears have a game coming up, and I like to preview them versus their opponent. The opponent this week is the 4-2 New Orleans Saints. The game will be played at 325 unless there's some weird schedule change, which in this year in the NFL is possible. But the Bears will play at 325 against the Saints over at Soldier Field. Looking at the forecast, if you believe in such things and those things mattering, you probably go advantage Bears because the high on Sunday is going to be 37 and that game is going to be trending towards sundown so we'll see before I get to some of the sound from the the people that I trust and I like to bring to you inside the podcast I wanted to run a couple things by you that you need to know walking into this game first of all let's talk about the Bears run defense for a minute because it is a weakness the Bears are are really good against the pass and even though they aren't getting as much pressure on the quarterback as you would like like Robert Quinn for example doesn't have a sack since I think week week two right his first game was week two he he hasn't had he's only got one sack and it was that back then he did have pressure in the game and he's been close and he came up with a forced fumble in the game so I'm going to give him a little bit of credit that being said they haven't sped up quarterbacks as much as you would like to see them speed up some of these quarterbacks and now they've got a guy who is all about timing is all about getting the ball out and getting it out quickly Drew Brees still one of the better quarterbacks in the league I have some questions about his arm strength a lot of other people don't and maybe it doesn't matter especially if Michael Thomas is going to be back for the Saints and he was at practice on Thursday And because he was at practice on Thursday, it leads me to believe that he is going to play on Sunday afternoon. He's been dealing with an ankle injury and a hamstring injury. And also fighting a teammate. All of those things were things that were going on with Michael Thomas. We will see if he makes it onto the field. If he does, that gives a distinct advantage to the Saints from an offensive standpoint because when you add that to Alvin Kamara who is coming into the game averaging what almost five yards a carry that doesn't bode well for a Bears run defense that gives up the most explosive run plays of any team in the NFL explosive run plays if you're like what the hell are you talking about what does that even mean Run plays that are 12 yards or more are considered explosive run plays. And the Bears lead the league in that mark. That's not a good thing. That's not where you want to be leading the league in. On top of that, if you go back to the game against the Rams, it wasn't just the explosive run plays. It was plays that were close to being explosive run plays. 11-yard runs, 10-yard runs, 9-yard runs. They gave those up quite a bit. And you had a Rams team that ran for almost five yards carry against them in the game. That is going to be one of the things that ends up breaking the Bears back as a team this year. 
the fact that they can't stop the run. And it, it puts them in a horrible, horrible position. Flip it over to the Saints. It's weird because the defenses are kind of opposite. The Saints defense is great against the run. Stop me if you've heard this before. The Bears don't run the ball well. The Saints are only giving up three and a half yards per carry, which strangely enough is around what the Bears are averaging on the ground. But they're not getting pass rush. And if you look at what they're giving up to passers, it's it bodes well for the Bears. The goal, and I talk about this all the time, yards per attempt on pass plays. The goal is to get to be around eight yards per attempt. The Saints are at seven. The Bears are a little under six after last week's game. So they can throw the ball, and they can't defend it. So if you're Nick Foles and Matt Nagy, this is an opportunity for you. This is an opportunity for you to expand what you're doing in your pass game, in your pass play. This defense doesn't doesn't do well against the pass, so now maybe they can get things started, which brings me to the first thing that I want to discuss. Anthony Heron was on the show, and if you remember, there was a big issue with the Bears this past week because Brian Greasy had mentioned something that was kind of out of school in talking to Nick Foles and the veracity of, I don't doubt the veracity of Greasy's statement. I just wonder if they had agreed that the conversation that the two had had was off the record. But in there, there was talk of the Bears not being able to protect some of the pass plays that Nagy wants to call and Foles working through that. Now, Foles went through painstakingly explaining some of this stuff away, explaining, well, you know, we're talking about that type of stuff on the sideline, and we're working through some of those things as the the games go on, and he didn't mean it as a negative. I wanted to ask Anthony Heron about this because he does game broadcasts, which means that he's in on these conversations between coaches and, and, and players, and they tell those guys stuff that they wouldn't tell the regular press with the idea that no one's going to get bus tossed. We'll see if that changes for Nick Foles in the future. But listen to what Anthony had to say about this, and I think the point that he makes at the end of this cut might be the most important. When it was first said, um, and, you know, like we're – you. Know, when you're doing pregame shows, you know how it goes where sometimes sounds full up, you're taking notes, you're kind of half paying attention. So I didn't, I didn't recognize, I didn't capture the Brian Griefsy uh, thing that he said until Matt Nagy was asked about it at the podium. I didn't even know it was a thing. Like, I don't spend much time on Twitter during the game. And my initial reaction was, well, okay, that, that certainly seems like a, a bit of, a, I suppose, an odd or maybe even an out-of-character quote for Nick Foles. And then as me and Jim Miller were talking through it, uh, through postgame, what I ended up saying was, well, I wonder just what, what the context of it fully is because if something's on the record or off the record, that's normally communicated. Nick Foles has been through a lot of those production meetings. Brian Greasy has been through them both as the quarterback and as the broadcaster plenty at this point. So I don't think either guy would necessarily make a mistake in communicating something that was supposed to be off the record and have it come out on Monday Night Football of all platforms. 
what the misinterpretation may have been, though, and it does seem like I, I said this on there, and it does seem like what it was was Nick Foles wasn't necessarily talking about the timeliness of Matt Nagy's play calling because initially it seemed that Nagy might have interpreted it as the play was coming in too late. And I talked to you about that a lot last season where when Mitch was still the quarterback and there's 12 seconds on the clock and he's finally breaking the huddle, getting to the line, and, yeah, they're rolling the fingers like, hey, man, can we get this going quicker? That was an issue early in the season. They started to get that corrected. I haven't seen it as a problem this year, but where Matt Nagy is calling plays that Nick Foles doesn't think he'll have the time in the pocket to execute because of a porous offensive line, that seems to be more what was being communicated. And I have been struck a bit the last couple of weeks here, and even after Nick Foles was initially asked about the Nagy discussion, and he was kind of back on his heels a little bit trying to figure out how to address it, and then even with other questions later on about the offense's execution, about his execution, about throws that he missed, and I didn't necessarily hear Nick Foles, and I feel like it's been a couple of weeks now where I'm not necessarily hearing Nick Foles taking complete ownership of mm-hmm. his inaccuracies or inadequacies, if you even want to go that far with it. I'm hearing him as a guy that's, while not completely lambasting the offensive line or the system, I'm a little bit surprised that I'm not hearing more of a fingers pointed at me, thumbs pointed at me approach from the way Nick Foles is addressing these things publicly. And frankly, Lawrence, I'm not even under the impression that is definitively a bad thing. If, as Nick Foles, as the quarterback, you can not only raise your game, but sort of press others to raise theirs. Like everything we've seen with Matt Nagy has been, he is the obvious Paduan and his quarterback in Mitch Trubisky for the most part has been, you know, the student in that scenario. I don't think it's bad for Matt Nagy to have a quarterback who can press back at him, who sees him more as a peer than as an instructor. But that still leads us at Nick Foles has to be able to make some plays. Like what is it? third and five backed up on his own one or two yard line. Yeah, that, that's not an easy thing to have a free rusher coming at you when you're under duress. But when you got Darnell Mooney baking one of the best cover corners in the National Football League and you have an opportunity to tie the game up to throw you got to make and, and the whole Darnell Mooney's open deep throw you got to make, it's come up repeatedly and he has missed these throws under less duress than he was last night. He has missed those repeatedly. That's not all on the O-line. He saw that there was going to be a free rusher there. He slid the protection to Aaron Donald. Brian Greasy did a great job breaking that down and explaining that. He needs to make that throw under duress or not. And so if you can't slide a bit to your right and give yourself an extra moment to come to balance, if you're going to throw it off balance and get it out of your hands quickly, then you have to start completing some of these passes for the Bears to become the team they have a chance to be. I agree with Big Ant about... Foles kind of making it seem as if he's not a a part of the reason that the Bears offense is not working. And I get that it's it's a team sport and that he hasn't had great protection. He was pressured on 50% of his dropbacks last night. I I understand that and I don't want to just ignore that. I think that that is significant and it's a personnel problem that the Bears are going to have to figure out and it's going to be made harder this week because Cody Whitehair doesn't look like he's going to play on Sunday because he's been dealing with a calf issue and it it doesn't seem as if he's going to be able to rally and get out there which means that the Bears are going to have two guys that are backups out there playing on their line along with three guys that we're not sure if they're any good think about that that that's 
the struggle is real. The struggle is mighty real for the Bears and what they are on their offensive line. But when Heron talks about Foles kind of putting things on other people, he's thrown an interception in four straight games. Him in four straight games. We've seen him make some ill-advised throws. And I, and some of that is pressure, but some of that is just bad decision-making. So that leads to another part of the conversation that I wanted to have with you today. And that's the big question that is on everyone's mind. Would the Bears be better off if Matt Nagy gave up play calling? Now, Nagy throughout the week said, oh, yeah, I've looked at it. I've looked at these things. And, you know, we, we feel very good about where things stand and don't worry if things do get bad and I don't want to focus on the bad because I want to focus on the positive if things do get bad then we'll maybe look at it again but for now things are fine and there's nothing wrong with the way that I call or design plays our guy Dan Durkin got into the weeds on this he is not one who does hyperbole This is a guy that takes things very seriously when it comes to his football breakdown. Here's what he sees on the film and what he thinks should happen when it comes to play calling. I think it's time to find out what else the Bears might have in terms of a play caller on their staff currently. Um, this, This is something I think we've all been wondering about for a while, but when it's so plainly put out for you as it was this past Monday night, uh, you know, when they played the Rams, it it was a clear distinction in my head. You have on one sideline, Matt Nagy, a guy who just seemingly calls plays. And then on the opposite sideline, you have Sean McVay, who is coordinating an offense that is designed to win against his opponents, finding ways to poke holes in deficiencies or take away what that team does best. And, too often when I when I've watched Nagy since he got here, I have a really tough time understanding like what the thought was, like what were they going after in this particular game, and that's a sign to me that these are are plays that are just being called at random. I think that there's far too much, um, I, I guess, expectation that personnel groupings and formations and, and making the team have to prepare for just a potential volume of plays is the right way to go about it. it it's just not, you know, you contrast it against McVay. And I think it just became very crystal clear when you look at how McVay runs his offense and how he adjusts as defenses adjust to him. You just don't see that from Nagy. So uh, I think at five and two, uh, they, they owe it to the defense to find out, can Bill Lazor spark something? Can you know uh, John DeFilippo spark something? Dave Ragone, whomever it is, if it's a committee approach, because I can I can safely say right now this offense is not progressing under Matt Nagy's uh, play calling. So what am I supposed to say to the person who goes, "All right, I I agree with Lawrence and Dan when it comes to the play calling issue, but no in- incredible play caller is going to fix the problems that they have on the offensive line." Now my retort has been. The Rams don't have a great offensive line, and they're using creativity to cover that up. How do you feel about this? Yeah, it, they're, it, that's it. That's the right tort, retort to that is what the Rams' offensive line uh, on a snap by snap basis is not going to beat the Bears' defensive line straight up. So, what did Sean McVay do? Ran outside zone. What did he build on the passing game off of that? 
bootlegs and half rolls off of that. So what do you do? You take the defense, what they do well, pin their ears back and rush upfield. Now you're changing their rush lanes. And not only are you changing their rush lanes, you are using their over-aggressiveness and their fast flow to the ball against them. And so that, to me, is a sign of coaching where he knew that Austin Corbett's not going to beat Akeem Hicks. You know, 95% of the snaps to line up, it's going to be the flip. So how do you counter that? Get them moving laterally and then break the playoff from there. It's either if it's a run play, stretch it out and force their defensive backs or their safeties to come up and play run support so you're kind of negating the, the front seven in that or if you're going to boot off of it now you're going to make them stop and chase you the opposite way where you have receivers that are breaking open because they knew all along what the actual play call was so that 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 to me is the biggest problem is where were the screens in this game you know when you know that you have a, a ferocious pat, pass rusher like Aaron Donald where were the traps against Donald where were the runs away I think about what you and I spoke about last week and what are the first two plays from the Bears uh, against them runs at Aaron Donald it's like what's the logic behind that I, I just really struggle to understand how when you have a week to prepare your call sheet that those are the first two and you're in your first 15 that you wanted to go to so just I, I think that there are ways that you can work around talent deficiencies and I think McVay made that very clear on Monday night as well I gotta admit that I was getting really jealous watching Sean McVay work with his quarterback work inside his quarterback's limitations because I don't think that I think it was very obvious that Jared Goff is not a transcendent talent. He's good enough, but he's not hes not a transcendent talent. And what we saw was McVay go, okay, how can I make some of these throws easier for my quarterback? How can I get him out on the move? And those are the things that Dan is talking about. I really wish that they would have done, that the Bears would have done some of this for Mitch. Some of the things that you saw with the misdirection, and then getting the quarterback on the move, I wish that they would have thought about that. I wish that they would have have given him an opportunity to be successful in the same way that McVay is trying to make golf successful. So it's a learning experience, and we'll see how the Bears go about trying to attack. This is one of those games where I'm not going to be mad if the Bears say bombs away. If they say, Here, here's Nick Foles and he might have to throw it 45 times, I think you have to show some run stuff early on, but I don't think that because your team isn't really good at it, you might need to go like two tight ends, two receivers, and just kind of max protect a little bit and try to get Foles to make some plays down the field. But he keeps missing some of the guys that are open, and in some cases – it's not a matter of pressure. It's a matter of him taking some of that courage that he has because he's a courageous player and understanding that you, some, you're going to get hit and you have to make the throw. He did that early on when he was given the opportunity, and we've seen less and less of it, and he's been errant in his throws beyond that. But it's something to keep an eye on for sure, and my jealousy was high when watching. I was like, oh, this is what they're doing. That's how they're going to, to make – Goff a better guy uh, and they're going to limit him they're going to play within what it is that he does and that's what good coaches do last thing I have for you is a little bit more fun even though it's filled with information I had Mike Dettelier from WWL on 
in New Orleans. And he covers the Saints for them. The information that he has on the, the Saints defense is important, and I do want you to hear that. But I also want you to realize that he sounds like Dusty Rhodes. And it made me laugh and smile on a day where there wasn't a lot to laugh and smile about. This is Mike Dettelier talking about inside that, that Saints defense, beyond them not being great against the pass, they also have issues in the red zone. Big concern is on defense. This is a team that's 32nd in the NFL in red zone defense. I mean, um, so you, you have issues once people get in the red zone to stop them. Because I think that's what pro and college football is all about. Uh, you know, you're going to give up yardage 20 to 20. It's what you can do beyond there and forcing them to kick field goals instead of touchdowns. And they just have not been able to do it. They've really struggled on the back end, giving up a lot of chunk plays via the air. Uh, pass interference penalties have been rampant on this football team, lack of communication. And they have not got a good pass rush. I think that's been the most disappointing part for me in watching this team who was so good at putting pressure on the quarterback and getting sacks, not getting them this year at all. Uh, they got one last week against Bridgewater, and it was a big one because Joy Sly just missed that 65-yard field goal. One, one more yard, and, and he'd, have kick, he'd have hit that from 64 So uh, and put it in uh, overtime. So that it's really been more on the defensive side of the football. They got people that will always complain uh, about Drew Brees, and they can really complain when he's not here. So you got a team that's not good against the pass, and you got a team that's not good in the red zone. There's opportunity here for the Bears to score points. But can they stop the Saints from scoring? We saw the Saints in town last year with Teddy Bridgewater, and he ended up making plays. Now you're going to see what this offense looks like when Drew Brees is running it. 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. He's completing 73% of his passes. I expect a steady diet of Alvin Kamara, and we will see if they can stop them because I have big questions about that. Keep those explosive plays in mind. This game is huge for the Bears. If you can get a win against the Saints, it makes, it makes the Rams game go away. But if you lose, knowing that Tennessee is coming up next, you think people were mad before? They're going to be furious, and they're going to be – it's not just going to be them talking about Matt Nagy, the play caller. They're going to be talking about Matt Nagy, the head coach. I appreciate you listening. I'll be on after the game on House of L. I'll have the postgame podcast there. I do a quick little two-minute review on 670thescore.com on our Twitter stuff. So make sure that, that you're there. And I appreciate all the support on all the platforms. Let's see if they can pick up a win.